So, it uh, feels a bit strange standing up here. It's been a while since I've done that. And uh, as others have commented, I think quite a few times recently, um, there are so many new people, people online, people who have been online and are now in the room. Um, and there's loads of people I don't know. So, I'm Malcolm. I'm part of the leadership team here. And uh, if I don't know you, I'm hoping to get to know you a bit better over the coming weeks and over lunch if you're staying. So, a few days ago, I was... Um, I was asked by somebody who's organised, uh, what are you, uh, I've got a title for Sunday, what are you speaking on? Now, I'm not really particularly big on, on titles, um, but all I could come up with is um, pressures and boats, um, which caused a slightly strange look on the face of the person who'd asked me, because what on earth is he on? Um, hopefully, by the end of the, what I share, it'll become a little bit clearer. This is not new stuff. And in many ways, what I'm doing, what I want to share this morning is picking up some of the themes that Sarah was touching on last week, as well as things that we've been exploring and unpacking over our prayer week. And there are quite a lot of things that over the next week or two, we want to begin to process some of the stuff that we were sensing as we prayed in the building and around the town. But some of the themes that have been emerging and that Sarah was touching on was being still, being still. About peace and rest in the middle of a storm. And perhaps particularly about stepping back from the hurry that often dominates our lives. And finding balance, as Sarah said, doing less to be more. And those of you who are involved in our prayer week will understand we just called it be because we knew and sensed that we needed to learn and relearn just to be in God's presence. And I've been um, sort of thinking and musing about these themes for a few weeks now, particularly focused through the lens of some of the early chapters of Mark's gospel. Now, some of you will be very familiar with Mark's Gospel and you'll pick up some of the resonances. Uh, some of you may not, and I would strongly encourage you to read. I'm, I'm looking particularly at chapters 3 through 6 of Mark's Gospel. And just to put it, frame it more widely, one of my favourite quotes is this. Some of you will have heard me mention it before. The most important thing about you is not the things that you achieve, it's the person you become. And the most important thing about me is not the things that I achieve, it's the person I become. And to rephrase that in terms of our, our life together as a community of Jesus people, the most important thing about us is not the things that we achieve, it's the people that we become. You see, if you've been around YCC for a while, you'll probably be aware that we're quite a busy church, quite an active church, quite a doing church. There's a lot of doing and achieving, or at least attempting to achieve, that goes on. And that's good. That is good. God wants us to be effective servants of his, effective and fruitful servants. He has prepared many good things, good stuff for us to walk in. 
But I think uh, quite a lot of us are beginning to realise and sense that perhaps now is a time when at least for a while we need, as Sarah taught last week, to find balance and to learn to just be. If we are a very busy, a very active, a very sort of doing church, then Mark's gospel is actually equally a busy, active, doing kind of account of the life of Jesus. It's full of non-stop action. The way he writes his account of the life of Jesus feels almost breathless. A constant succession of intense activity. And yet, as I've been reading these chapters, in all the action, Mark carefully seems to include pointers to some key lessons. Key lessons that I hope we can pick up on. So, to start with, I just want to take you very, very quickly on a sort of whistle-stop tour through Mark chapters 3 to 6. I'm not going to read it all. You'll be relieved to hear. Um, But as we scan through some of the key things that Mark describes, just be alert to listen out for the sorts of pressures that Jesus was facing. The sort of pressures he was under. And perhaps see if you can identify some of the ways that he handled them. Okay, so Mark chapter 3. And Jesus is getting to be increasingly popular. He's making a name for himself. His teaching and his miracles are attracting massive crowds who come from all around to see him and to listen to him. And many were literally pursuing him, chasing him down because they needed healing or they needed to be set free from enemy activity. And in fact, the crowds were so large with people pushing forward and trying to touch him that Jesus is in danger of being crushed. He's on the shores of Lake Galilee, which is up in the north of Israel. So he arranges for a boat to be available, just to give him a little bit of space to work. And then, with so many people, with so many needs, Jesus takes half a step back and very carefully and very prayerfully chooses 12 of his followers to be like, kind of like his interns, maybe a bit like Create Team, I don't know, To go everywhere with him, to accompany him, to see and share what he was doing. And so that he could send them out to share in the work that he was doing. And things continued to get even more pressured for him. In Mark 3, 20, 21, he and the disciples don't even have any time to eat. They are so busy, so much under pressure. No time to even stop for a meal. And his own family get so concerned for him that they come and try and um, kidnap him, basically. They wanted to say, I think you need to come home. I think you're losing the plot. They thought he was out of his mind. At least, however, their concern was genuine, which was a lot better than some of the religious people around who applied yet more pressure by accusing him, bear in mind he'd been setting people free from uh, unclean spirits, they accused him of actually being demonised himself. And then Mark 4. The large crowds continue to surround him as he teaches them. And the pressure is such that the only way he can manage it is actually to get in a boat and teach from there. You know, we have a stage, he had a boat. At the end of a day of non-stop teaching, he and his disciples take the boat across to the other side of Lake Galilee. But, and many of you will know the story, a massive storm blows up and the boat's in danger of being swamped. And then there are the disciples, several of whom are fishermen, who should really know all about boats. 
That's their thing. That's what they did. But they're really, really scared. And Jesus? Well, he's gone to sleep on a cushion at the back of the boat. Amongst other things, that really shows us just how exhausted, how weary he clearly was with all of the pressures that were pressing in on him. Jesus gets woken up and if you know the story, he simply stands up and silences the storm with a word of command, which unsurprisingly completely terrifies the disciples. Mark 5. So they get to the other side of the lake after this storm and as soon as they step out of the boat, they're approached by a demonised man who was totally uncontrollable and terrifying, intimidating for the people around. Jesus confronts the unclean spirits, a whole crowd of them, and the man is completely and beautifully set free. If you know the story, you'll realise it doesn't go quite so well for the pigs. And then within minutes, a crowd surrounds Jesus again. And rather than being grateful for what he's just done, they pile pressure on Jesus to go away and to leave them alone. So he's back in the boat and back across to the other side of the lake again, only to find that there's another crowd there waiting for him. And now Jesus is faced with a a key local leader whose daughter is dying. And the pressure is on him to do something. Then you may remember Sarah sharing last week that while Jesus is still on his way to see this child, with the crowd jostling him on all sides, a woman who's desperate for healing reaches out and touches his coat. And Jesus, we read, immediately senses that power has gone out from him. He's quite literally been drained. And then after confirming and affirming the woman who was now healed, Jesus is then confronted with the rather devastating news that the sick child has in fact already died. Facing mockery from the crowd around him, what's he going to do now? More pressure? And yet he goes ahead, taking just his three closest friends, Peter, James and John, with him. And he goes and sees the child and raises her back to life. Mark 6. Then Jesus heads back to his hometown in Nazareth, which is a uh, a few miles to the west of Galilee. And he begins there to teach them. But even though it's his hometown, he's met with cynicism and unbelief and scepticism from these people. They they knew him. They knew his family. They knew his mum and they knew his brothers and sisters. And yet they are resistant. The frustration and disappointment that I suspect Jesus must have felt at that point would have been intense. And he was only able to heal a few people because they were just so lacking in trust. So Jesus moves on, goes around the villages and there is just so much need, people wanting healing, wanting to be set free, wanting to hear his teaching, that he sends these disciples, these interns that he's been training up, he sends them out in pairs to share in his work by preaching and teaching and liberating people. And then in Mark 6, we have a little bit of a pause. 
It seems like it's around this time that Jesus hears news about what's happened to his cousin John the baptizer, who was executed by Herod, the local um, civic leader. I think that must have really hit Jesus really, really hard. John was his cousin, humanly speaking, whom he'd known from the earliest age, probably even before they were born. John was the first person, the first person who'd recognised Jesus for who he truly was and affirmed him in his ministry. Jesus had gone to John and been baptised. John was the one who said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one, you know, I'm soaking you in water. He's going to soak you in the Holy Spirit. Follow him. And so in the midst of everything that Jesus is going through, all the pressures he's facing, grief is now piled on top as well. But the never-ending needs of the crowds are around him. And that means that once again, Jesus and his disciples have, yet again, no time to even eat. And so in response to all the pressure, Jesus decides it's time to get away with the disciples to a quiet place to rest a while. So it's back into the boat to find a quiet cove down the lake where they can moor up and have a bit of time to recover and recuperate. But even that wasn't to be. A huge crowd spot where he's going, run down the shore and get there ahead of him. And as he steps out of the boat, there's yet more people, more demands on him, more pressure. At this point, with his planned rest break completely ruined, it's Jesus' reaction quite surprises me. In his situation, I suspect I'd step out of the boat, see yet more people demanding more and more of him. I might have said, oh, can you not give me a break? But Jesus sees them and has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he teaches them. And then there's the practical pressure of trying to arrange to feed more than 5,000 people. They hadn't been told to bring bring and share lunch and we know the amazing miracle that followed that and then finally Jesus sends the disciples back off in the boat to the other side again sends the crowd home and he goes away up into the hills above the lake by himself all alone to pray and then after several hours by himself up in the hills He's looking down on the lake and he could see the disciples in the boat really, really struggling. Experienced boatmen though they were, they were just not coping at all. So Jesus comes down from the hills and simply walks out on the water to the disciples who were struggling in the boat. Amazing what you can do when you've had a few hours of prayer walking on the water. The disciples are, of course, freaked out. But Jesus simply says, take courage, I'm here. Take courage, I'm here. So that's a quick overview, Mark 3 through 6. And do you begin to see the incredible pressures that Jesus was facing? I want to touch on four sorts of pressures that we may find impinge on us. And to try and learn some lessons for how Jesus handled them. So the first one is mental pressures. You see, Jesus 
was constantly giving out, constantly having demands made on him to teach, to share, to encourage, to have something to say to them, to challenge, confront them, to support them, to encourage them, to serve them, to meet their needs. It was just a constant stream of demands on him. How do we cope? How did Jesus cope? Well, one of the ways he coped was he learned to share the load with others. He learned to share the load with others. When the pressure was on, he shared what he was doing. So he took the disciples, the interns, and he sent them out. He appointed them. He showed them what to do. He sent them out. Look, I I can't do it on my own. I need more. I need additional help. So he learned to share the load with others. Back in the Old Testament, you might know it if you know your Old Testament, Moses had the same situation. He was taking the people of Israel out of Egypt. And at one point, his father-in-law came to him and said, look, if you carry on like this, you're just going to wear yourself out. You need to get some help. It's people to whom you can delegate some things, with whom you can share what you're doing. When we're under pressure, we need to learn to share the load with others a little bit similar to what the kids video was all about training others to share in Jesus work of fishing for people here at YCC we do team we are utterly committed to team at all sorts of levels of things we do including especially in the leadership we do team here and those who know me know that I'm, I probably bang on about it incessantly because I really believe in team. I believe in it because I believe it's what scripture teaches as the best way to do leadership in team. I also believe in it because I know so many other church leaders in the area, in the town and around. And I see the effects if they are not effectively embedded in team, supportive team, not just committees or those who help a bit, but really in team. And I see the drain on them. We're in team. And I'm so grateful. We could not do this on our own. We do not have the resources by ourselves. And it does mean that, you know, when one of us is struggling needing to take time out and we're, we're praying at the moment for Adam and we want to see him restored. But it's okay because we do team. Pressures, learning to share the load with others. And then there's physical pressures that we get under quite often that Jesus was under as we've seen. He was pushed and he was pressed and he was nearly crushed. He was constantly on the move. How many times did they go back and forth across the lake? He was constantly on the move. Twice we read that he had no time to eat. And then he planned a bit of a break, a bit of time out, and even that went wrong. Now, I I guess there's quite a few in this room who'd planned a bit of a holiday at some point over the last year and a half, two years, and maybe found that didn't quite work out either. So we know what it feels like when you get the disappointment of the break you were hoping for not happening. How did Jesus cope with those physical pressures? A couple of things I'd mention. 
Find a cushion within the storm and schedule time in your quiet space. What on earth do I mean by that? Well, as you'll know, if you know the story when Jesus was in the storm, and I mentioned it earlier, Jesus fell asleep at the back of the boat. He was utterly tired, utterly exhausted. But in that moment, in that moment of pressure, in that moment of, uh, of things going on or kicking off around him, he was able to just take a short, deep breath in and was able to rest in that moment. Amidst all the pressures that were coming on him, the physical pressures and all sorts of other stuff, he was able to just take that moment and be secure and at rest in the minute, in that minute. And he could relax because he trusted the Father. I remember when I was at school, which was a very long time ago, and I was facing uh, quite some quite important exams. This was back in the era when um, there tended to be quite a lot of rather cheesy Christian posters around. That era hasn't entirely ended, but it was particularly... Uh, prevalent then and they, you had these Christian posters around and I think I'd read one but however cheesy it may or may not have been I remember waking up on the morning of my exams with all the pressure and the Holy Spirit just impressed on me that I should remember that there was nothing that could happen to me that day that God and I couldn't handle together there was nothing that could happen to me that with God's help we couldn't handle together. And it mattered a lot to me. Notice the word together. I know there is a whole sort of cultural thing around at the moment that says, oh, you could do anything. You're magnificent. You're wonderful. You, you can do anything you put mind to. It's not true. We can't do anything. Do some things. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus could relax find his cushion, find his space, just that five-minute time out in the middle of the pressure moment. He could just find that moment of quiet, of peace, because he trusted God. And we need to be able to do that. But also, along with that sort of moment-by-moment, moment, taking a, a few seconds out just to rest before God, Jesus also had to schedule time, or tried to, to go to a quiet place. And I think some of us need to learn to do that too. When we're really busy and the pressure's on and the people are pressing around us, we do need to make sure that we are scheduling in our diary. I use the word advisedly. If you don't put it in your diary, it won't happen. If you don't put it on your calendar, whatever you, whatever you use in your phone, it won't happen. We need to schedule time to go to a quiet place and rest a while. It needs to be planned. Some people have a quiet space where they daily like to go and sit and take time with God in their house. Some like to go out for a walk. Sometimes it's, it's places that you, um, you go on holiday, which is your special quiet place where you can rest a while. Sometimes, and it's been relevant perhaps particularly over these last two years when we haven't been able to get out so much, sometimes it can even be in your imagination. When I'm trying to take, have some time with God, sometimes if I can't physically get out, 
I have a place in my imagination. It's a physical place that I can't get to, but where I go to be quiet with God. And I imagine it. And imagining, I imagine spending time with Jesus in my quiet place in my head. We need to schedule in times where we go to our quiet place. And then there's emotional pressures. And Jesus was handling all sorts of stuff. He was handling the grief of finding that John the baptizer had been murdered. He was facing the frustration of people who wouldn't listen, who when he helped them wanted him to go away, of his uh, hometown that wouldn't accept anything he was doing. The disappointment of people saying no. And the misunderstanding of his own family who thought that he'd just was out of his mind how do we cope with emotional pressures when they press in on us a couple of thoughts firstly identify key trusted friends and lean on them something I've been learning over the last couple of years that we need to know who are our key trusted friends and we need to choose to lean on them Jesus, if you remember, he, with uh, Jairus' daughter, the, the one who was dying and died, he took Peter, James and John, just the three of them, his three trusted friends, he just took them. Jumping forward in the story, some of you will remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was facing the most intense emotional pressure. And who did he want with him? Peter, James and John just to be there with him, to support him, to pray with him, to stand with him, to to help him. Know who your key trusted friends are and lean on them. We need that when we're going through emotional pressures. But alongside leaning on a few key trusted friends, I would suggest that when we're facing people pressures, we do need to learn the habit of solitude sometimes. Solitude is one of those things that are sometimes called spiritual disciplines or uh, my preferred phrase is sensitising habits. Things that we do to make us more sensitive to our Father and to the Holy Spirit. And one of those things, and it can be really helpful at times of pressure, is solitude. Just getting away by ourselves. When I say by ourselves, I, I mean without any other people around, but not purely by ourselves, because we are getting away with our Father. We need to learn that habit, some of us. It's not something we do you know, every day, every five minutes, but sometimes when the emotional pressures, the people pressures, pressures get to us, we need to learn the benefit of solitude, just times of solitude with the Father. And then... Jesus faced spiritual pressures. He was facing stubborn spiritual resistance. Resistance, some of it was from people's way of thinking, their mindsets. So the religious people couldn't understand what he was on about and had a mindset that wouldn't allow the fact that he was actually setting people free because he was God in human form. But he also faced spiritual pressures from the very environment around him. The hostile spiritual environment around him. When he he goes across the lake and meets the guy who's heavily demonised, that's a very hostile spiritual environment and that brings spiritual pressure. 
Some uh, theologians say that actually the storm on the lake was maybe not just a natural storm. It may actually have been um, kind of um, demonically inspired to keep Jesus out of that area. Legion perhaps didn't want Jesus anywhere in what they might, those demons may have thought was their space. And Jesus was invading their space. He was in a hostile spiritual environment. When we go prayer walking, we pray for things and about things and into things. But some of what we're doing is simply invading a space and saying, we are here. God's presence is here. If there is any other presences here that are antagonistic to the kingdom, we are setting our feet here, representing Jesus. And of course, Jesus was specifically confronting unclean spirits. And then the occasion with the woman who was bleeding, he recognized at a particular moment she touched him and power went out of him. He was drained, he was depleted. Only time in God's presence can replenish us. Only time in God's presence can replenish us when we are under spiritual pressure and feeling drained. Some years ago, I was out. Um, I went out for a walk and to pray at Yeovilton Weir. If any of you know Yeovilton Weir, um, and as I was standing alongside, the, the water was sort of pouring over the weir and then sort of collected in a large sort of pool before running off under the bridge. And as I was there, I was. Um, doing what you do when you're standing next to water I picked up a stick and threw it in the water and I sensed the Holy Spirit pointing something out to me because as I watched the stick that I'd thrown into the water it started to sort of flow with the current and then it kind of got out of the current and started to sort of drift round in a big circle and ended up right back at my feet I'd just thrown it in and it come all the way back again. I thought I hadn't done it right, so I, I got another stick and threw it, made sure it's right in the centre of the current. Make sure it's right there. And yeah, it was, for a little while. But then, after a little while, it sort of somehow managed to drift out of the current and ended up just going round and round in circles and never flew, uh, flowed out under the bridge. And I sensed, I shared this with the leadership team at the time, I sensed that there's, there's a lesson for us there. We need to be, take time in God's presence to be replenished. And only being in his presence will do that. And that needs to be a repeated thing. We, we can't replenish ourselves. What we can do is put ourselves in the right place for God to replenish us. That's our responsibility. We need to put ourselves repeatedly in the place where he can refill us. He can replenish us. He can build us back up again if we are depleted under the pressures. Our responsibility is not to sign up, yes, I could do this. Is to put ourselves where God can refill us. To stay in the centre of the current. The stick couldn't do anything. It would just go round and round in circles. Unless there was a conscious effort to stay in the centre of the current. To keep in the flow of what God was doing. That's what we need to do. So, finally, 
What about boats? I said I'm talking about pressure and boats, and I just want to finish with a few thoughts about boats. As you may have noticed as I was going through those chapters in Mark, boats are referred to repeatedly in these chapters. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were fishermen, and they knew about boats. Boats were their thing. They could handle boats. They did boats. Except when the pressure was on, they couldn't. They ought to have been know what to do with boats, you know, when the, when the storm blew up. I mean, they'd done it all their lives. Surely they knew about this. But when the pressure was on, they didn't know how to cope. And the boats, I think, are a bit like a metaphor for us. You see, it's so tempting to rely on our own experiences, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our background, our training, our resources, thinking we've got this, we can do this, we know how to do this. But when the pressure's on, our weaknesses are exposed. By ourselves, we're not competent. Yeah, could I have the band up? That would be great, thank you. Um, By ourselves, we're not competent. When it comes to doing spiritual stuff, anything of spiritual significance, Jesus did not say, without me, there's only a limited amount you can do. He actually says, without me, you can't do anything. We are not as competent as we think when it comes to doing things that really require the work of God, the impact of the Holy Spirit. If we are to do that, then we are not of ourselves competent. And we have to competent. And we need to learn. We have to recognize each moment and each day that we need Jesus in the boat with us. Maybe the disciples did learn that through these episodes in Mark's Gospel. They constantly actually couldn't handle it on their own. They needed Jesus in the boat with us, with them. We need Jesus in the boat with us. Without him, nothing else will do. Just before I, um, we started the service, um, uh, someone shared a couple of pictures with me, which I think are quite helpful. It's like, imagine you're, you're standing in a, a rowing boat. Standing in a rowing boat is not usually a great plan. Because it wobbles. You're likely to fall in. But the kind of pictures suggested that actually Jesus is standing there. And Jesus is like a huge keel that goes down from the boat that makes it completely stable. We need Jesus alongside us. We need his presence more than anything else. More than anything else, we need his presence in our situations, in our lives, in our circumstances, in our boat, as it were. Nothing else will do. And it's not just that we need him there to stand up and calm the storm around us with a word. What we need to hear is him walk towards us and say to us, take courage, I'm here. I need to hear that, you need to hear that in whatever your situation is. Take courage, Jesus says to you and to me, I'm here. In fact, the actual uh, words used simply say, don't fear, I am, Jesus says. Don't fear, I am. Take courage, the I am is here. 
Jesus is here. We need him alongside us in everything we do. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would learn how to withstand and stand under the pressures that come our way. And that we would seek to stay right in the centre of what you're doing. That you teach us to draw from you. And that you'd inspire us every moment of every day to be repeatedly inviting you into our situation, into our boat as it were. Help us to hear you say, whenever the pressures are on, take courage. I'm here.